Welcome to the Global River Church Discipleship Teaching of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. So I'm going to open up with Galatians 5. We Oh, and just as a little disclaimer, so we have one hour and five minutes to share about the kingdom paradigm with marriage, which we could do every Wednesday night for about 10 years and not fully cover it. So just as a disclaimer, we're only going to share on a little drop of this gigantic bucket of a topic, and we're only going to deliver what Holy Spirit has given us, what we've personally can testify to and walk through. So there's so much that we're not going to even cover or touch on because we don't have the time tonight. So this is not a, this is, you know, I just really want to put that disclaimer out there so that you can understand why we're doing what we're doing and why we're delivering what we're delivering. Um, But if there are any questions, any comments, any quarrels, see Pastor Tom. <laughs> there might be more coming in the future as we were discussing how there is so much about a kingdom marriage that we could spend every week talking about it. So just be prepared. There might be something in the future there. Especially a kingdom marriage filled with Holy Spirit. So there's like that's that's I mean there's that's a whole anyway. All right. Speaking of Holy Spirit. Speaking of Holy Spirit. Galatians 5. So we're going to read Galatians 5, verses 16 through 26, which is the end of the chapter, and I'm going to be reading in NKJV. So I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And now the works of the flesh are evident, because they're adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. So if you were to break down every unhappy marriage, every disconnected marriage, or every marriage that ends in divorce, it is because of one of those things that was listed in verses 19, 20, and 21. But if you want to save your marriage, heal your marriage, or have a kingdom paradigm marriage, then you are going to do the rest of that verse, which the rest of that chapter, which is 22 through 26. That is the most perfect formula in scriptures for worldly marriages versus kingdom marriages. Amen. Well, there's a, well, there's a couple others, but this one's just, it's beautiful. 
So, like she said, this there are scriptures in the Bible that speak of Christian character. And there are scriptures that speak specifically to marriage. So when you're talking about what does a Christian marriage look like, it's not just those scriptures that talk about marriage. It's those on top of the Christian character that's already been established. So those are just the icing on the cake. You still have to know you still have to love your neighbor. Who's your neighbor? Everyone around you, even your wife. Especially your wife. You still have to you know, you still have to take into account all those characteristics that the word talks about. And we'll we'll touch on some of those as we go through this. But it's not just I know I think that a lot of times people say, well, what does a marriage look like in the in the in the Bible? And all they do is go to the scripture about the wife or the scripture about the husband. And it's not just those. Those are just part of what the character looks like, part of what the Bible tells you to do in love. How do you how do you edify, encourage? You know, are you s- focusing on yourself or are you focusing on others, right? Because there's scripture that just says don't do things for yourself. Don't do things out of selfish desires. Do things for others, for the encouragement of others, for the edification of others. Those are characteristics you have to bring into your marriage. It's not those are for the world and those are for my brothers and this is for my wife. That's not how it works. That's not how the kingdom paradigm works. So marriage is, is those scriptures in addition to everything else. So we're going to kind of start at the beginning and then work our way through what a marriage will adapt and evolve, and evolve into. So to start with, it's a covenant, right? And, and scripture talks about what covenant needs to be and what the father does in his co- with covenant is he wants the, those to be upheld. So it's very important for him. It's also important that you're equally yoked in a covenant. You're equally yoked in business and friendships. What, what does darkness have to do with light? What does light have to do with darkness, right? You also need to be evenly yoked in your marriage. So if you're not evenly yoked in your marriage, you can't rely on the father. You I mean, the father will, can do things and, and change things, but you can't rely on that person that you're yoked with to seek the father for guidance because that's not their character. That's not their identity where it should be. Maybe that's your identity. You seek the father for guidance. You seek him for wisdom. You seek Holy Spirit. But if you're not yoked with someone else who's in that same position, you can't rely on them to do the same things. So this kingdom paradigm is really going to fall short. And there are a few scriptures that talk about that in um, 1 Corinthians. We're just going to cover this just because we want to get it out of the way um, pretty much. And then we'll move into an evenly yoked marriage. Let's see, what is this? 1 Corinthians... Seven, twelve through um, twelve, twelve through sixteen. Yes. But to the rest, I, not the Lord, say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe, and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. So, this 
really puts the decision if if this marriage is going to be maintained, it puts it on the non-believer. Right? It's not I'm not going to be like, well, she doesn't believe, so I'm going to leave her. That's not what this that's not how Paul s- instructs this. And it's he says specifically, this is not of the Lord. This is from me. And there's a, there's a reason for that too. So if she's willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And the woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they are holy. So it really talks about your lineage, right? What, what, what are you raising up in the world? And that's your, your children, that's they're, they're your, the inheritance, and so... As long as one of you is walking with the Lord, they'll be raised up in this holiness. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such a case. But God has called us to peace. So you have to establish this peace in this unevenly yoked marriage. And it's, it's difficult. That's why Scripture says to be evenly yoked. If, if he didn't have to work at peace, he wouldn't have said, stated he is calling us to peace. So he's already alluding to this turmoil that you're going to have to struggle through. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? So that's part of this, if they want to stay, don't divorce them. Because... You don't know if what you're walking through is going to bring them into the kingdom. You don't know that. You don't know how your life changes, your relationship with the Lord. You don't know how that's going to affect them. So you need to work for peace so that they can be raised up into the same things. So that, that's, I mean, it's going to be a struggle. He talks about, you know, focusing on peace. It's not, it's not what the, it's not the most the greatest situation to be in, and there's reasons for that. I was just going to say that I know that there are those of us in this room that have children or grandchildren or family members or friends that are in this situation, and they're coming to you for counsel, and they're coming to you for guidance. And I just want to encourage you to reference the scripture so that you can encourage them into the righteousness of God and into what his scripture says. So for those of you in this room, it's, it's just such a beautiful piece of scripture for our counseling of others. That's right. So in an equally yoked marriage, there's in Genesis 2, he says that, you know, you will leave your father and your mother and you will joined together you will become one flesh and that one flesh union is the foundation of a kingdom marriage that one flesh union that being united as one flesh is marriage and if it's if you don't look at things as one flesh if you look at things as mine hers you're not thinking the kingdom paradigm. You're not thinking the one flesh union. You're not thinking that we are united and unable to be taken, uh, separated. That's what says, what the Lord's put together. Let nothing separate. 
but if you're not, then that, so that's an indicator of, of what it means to be, or, you know, are we walking this out in one flesh, or are we, are we walking this out separately? Hey, Lance, can you put a, the pad of D on for me? That's what I was missing. I was like, something's missing in here. Please and thank you. Ooh, so much better. So along with this, um, we're going to go ahead and look into, there's a, we're going to go ahead and look into Ephesians chapter 5. There's a, a um, kind of an outline of this one flesh union, this, this uh, marriage structure, Ephesians 5, 25 through 33. says, husbands, love your wives. This statement is repeated a couple of different times. Husbands, love your wives. As, and we'll, we'll talk about what that means to love here in a minute, too. Now, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. So there, already, your job is to sacrifice yourself for your wife. That's... No, no small task. No. What, what are you sacrificing? You're, well, everything. everything. <laughs> Pride, selfishness, justification, all these desires. You know, your, sa- your, your job is to sacrifice for your wife. And our job is to submit. So you're going to hear this a lot. Husband loves your wife. Wife, submit to husband. But they're in the world paradigm. They, they got a bad rap. Those, that scenario in the world paradigm, in the world thought process, opens you up for being uh, taken advantage of or being uh, abused or being, you know, there are, there are things in that the world hears those words and they think, well, that's, there's something wrong with that because it opens you up for wrong things to happen. But in the kingdom paradigm, when you're both seeking the Father, when you're both seeking the kingdom, you're both seeking to establish this identity that the Scripture talks about and all the characteristics that embody what the kingdom looks like, there's no chance for that to happen. There's no chance. There's no, there's no, you're not going to have to worry that I'm going to be taken advantage of or I'm going to be exposed or I'm going to be, I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm gonna, there's, there's, no, there's no opportunity there because you're both focused on the kingdom. You're both focused on the same, the same heart posture. And so there's, there's another kingdom versus world, um, but we're going to walk through that tonight. So just as Christ loved the church and gave herself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of waters by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. So if she's like my own body, how can I, how can I mistreat her? How could I not encourage her? How can I not pour everything into her? That would be like, 
Well, like it says, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, that as for the Lord, just as the Lord does for the church. So if I keep that, that thought process, that identity, that she is part of me, I will always treat her as I treat myself. I will always treat her and encourage her and nourish her, her needs and cherish her needs and sacrifice what I have for her. So now in her submission, she's submitting to someone that's doing all things for her. So there's your king. There's that's that's kingdom paradigm of marriage. Yes. Again, instead of the world's paradigm is self-seeking. It is a self-seeking relationship. All marriages are I am with you as long as you fulfill my fleshly desires, my lustful desires, and the minute that you quit fulfilling those desires, I'm going to go seek them elsewhere. It is not serving. It is not selfless. It is the complete opposite. And also this scripture here, so verse 30 of Ephesians 5 says, for we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. Sometimes it really helps to see Jesus in your spouse and in, 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 into family members, into friends, especially when you're really struggling with them. Like, Lord, I need to see you in them because then he is glorified and he outshines all of the things that you're having issues with, which is flesh against flesh. So that's just a really beautiful scripture of, of what to seek in some of those hard, harder moments. Um, and also when you're ministering, when you're ministering out on the streets with people, you know, you can see somebody on the corner and think that they're just a vagrant. Um, but w- no, they've got Jesus. Like, look for the Jesus in them, and it will help keep your heart posture pure. So it goes on after that. It says, for this reason, man shall leave his father and mother and be joined with his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself. Let the wife see that she respects her husband. (coughs) So let's talk about this. Husbands, love your wives. What does love look like? We all know the love scripture. Yeah. We do. We all know the love scripture. 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Love su- uh, suffers long and is kind. Love suffers is, or is long-suffering or is love is patient. That's the first thing. Suffers long. <laughs> So men, this is not a short-term suffering. This is love suffers long, okay? This isn't, oh, I'll deal with it today, and tomorrow it'll be gone. No, it can take years. It can take years, and it has taken years at times for me in certain situations. And some things we're still in the midst of, (laughs) because we always will be. We're always in process. So this is what men are to do for their wives. Love suffers long and is kind. So that, you know, there's your, there's your 
the wording that you're using, how are you speaking to your wife? Are you speaking to her kindly? Do you use the right language? Do you use the right tone? Do you use the right body gestures? Like, that's kindness. It doesn't matter if you feel justified. It doesn't matter if you feel right or, like, you have to, or if you're trying to fix something, you know? There needs to be kindness. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own. Love does not seek its own. It's not about my dreams or my desires or what my purpose is. It's, that's not what love is. That's not what I'm supposed to carry into my love for my wife. It is not provoked. It thinks no evil. Does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth, bearing all things. Bearing all things. That's our job. To bear all of our conversations that have no end, no beginning, and you can't offer us a word <laughs> to fix it. You just have to hear our stories. <laughs> Bear all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never fails. But it's not about the nail. <laughs> so that's what love is. And that's the love we need to have for our wives. You know, what's funny is it doesn't say that the wife is supposed to love the husband. Right? They're not held, they're held to their own standard. That's a standard we're held to. So we can't read this and say, well, you're supposed to do this or you're supposed to do that. That's not what love is and that's not what their standard is. That's what our standard is as the, as the husband. So I know that's, I don't know if that's counterintuitive or if that's something that maybe isn't, doesn't bode well, but that's, I'm just, that's, that's what the word says, so. Yeah, and our job is to submit. And I think Genesis could be my favorite book of the Bible. And one thing that I really want to touch on tonight is, is what is submission? And what does that look like practically? And where was the first time that, um, that we see it not taking place, which is Adam and Eve. So the very first time you see a wife not submitting to her husband was when she manipulated him into eating the apple because she did not submit and heed his words of wisdom to not eat from the tree. So that's the first time that we see the wife not submitting to her husband, and it's also the first time that we see the power the power that the woman has over her husband, the influence, the power of influence that a woman has over her husband. And in the world, the women take that power of influence and they operate in spirits of manipulation and control. And they say, I want this narrative 
he wants this narrative, so I'm going to do this so I get my way. And in the kingdom, no. No, our husband is to lead us and guide us into righteousness and truth. He is wise. He, so submission looks like, I don't want to do that. But really quick, when she says he is wise, why is he wise? Because he is evenly yoked. They're both seeking the kingdom. They're both seeking the father. His wisdom comes from the father. The wisdom is not his, but it's his in his seeking the Father that he is given wisdom through Holy Spirit. And this, none of this works unless you're evenly yoked and you're seeking the kingdom first. And man was who God gave the genius authority to name all the animals and all the creatures. Like, he bestowed wisdom on man first. So, although I do like to say that wisdom is referred to as a female in Proverbs, um, <laughs> but, <laughs> so you can kind of swing that way with it, too, um, but I, I actually, I see this in this church. I, I see women operating in the spirit of manipulation and control all the time, and they don't even know that they're doing it because they've never made the transition of having that transformed and renewed mind from the world's way to the kingdom way. I see it all the time. And it happens because you don't want to submit. You think that you know what's better, <laughs> you are more wise, and you want to control the narrative. And so the hardest, which and he, the father knows this, which is why he gave us that mandate, that our only job was to submit, which is why the enemy came and he distorted it and deceived it and twisted it. And now the world has gotten a hold of submission and made it look like it means you get beat down and you're barefoot pregnant in the kitchen. And that's not what submission is. Submission, I wrote this down, thank you, Holy Spirit. Submission is allowing your husband to lead you and guide you and to come alongside and help your husband instead of manipulating and controlling him in the ways that you think he should be going and the things that he should be doing. The world says happy wife, happy life. That comes from a spirit of manipulation and control. No, that is not the kingdom paradigm at all. That's right. I hate when I hear that. Happy wife, happy life. Y'all need counseling by the Holy Spirit is what you need. So that is what submission is, and it's beautiful because guess what? As we submit to our husbands, he loves us more. He serves us more. As we're submitting to him, guess what? That's filling their built-in love tank. God created man to feel loved through that submission. So you're filling your husband's love tank through that submission. And then through him being filled up with his love tank, then he's going to overflow onto us. And it ends up with a beautiful, happy marriage. And it kills us in the process, which is the whole point of it. So <laughs> thank you, That's Lord, right. for well, that. Like she says, this is, this is a design by God. God designed marriage. He designed yes. both of us separately to work together in it as one flesh. So there is a design, there is a purpose. 
I have my purpose. I try to stay in my lane. She has her purpose. She tries to stay in her lane, and there's a covenant. And in that covenant, we're both encouraged. We both grow. Like she said, the world, the world hears that word submit, and they think you're supposed Then they say, oh, you're going to be barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen. And yeah. But that's not what the submission in the kingdom says. The no. submission in the kingdom says right here in Ephesians chapter 5. It says that he gave himself for the church so that the church may be sanctified cleansed, washed with water by the word, that they be, be presented glorious, spot-free, wrinkle-free of all these things, holy, without blemish. Those are the things that we desire for our wives, yes. to be perfect and holy without blemish. That's what, that's what submission is returned by, the desire for holiness and spotlessness and being free from wrinkle and and I learned something amazing by Danny Silk, who, I mean, if you guys know, keep your love on ministries, Kylo Ministries. If you ever need any sort of, if you need, I'm all for um, counseling. It is preventative maintenance. It is amazing. But he said something that I had never thought of before. We all know that we are created in God's image. So we are created as a tripart being. And marriage is created as a tripart being marriage. We are always supposed to have Holy Spirit, Jesus, Father God at the center of it. So which let's is read Ecclesiastes 4. Well, hold on. Let me say this one last thing. But he said something that I'd never thought of, and he said, because we were created in God's image, God's unity of Holy Spirit and Jesus is a super successful marriage. It's the most successful marriage that there could ever be. That is the example of marriage that we have. And since we're created in his image, we were created to have a beautiful, successful marriage. That is in us. So everything else is warring against our natural creation. But we were actually created for a successful marriage, which is why the enemy is so against the destruction of marriage and family, because that as I love what Danny Silk says, he says, restored, beautiful, healthy marriages are going to restore the world. They are going to transform the world. So I just, I really wanted to share that because we need to hold fast to that. Like, wait a minute, we were created for success in our marriage. That's right. So, thank you. Now we can read Ecclesiastes. And along with that, Ecclesiastes 4, I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with this as well. Ecclesiastes 4, we'll start at 9. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And the threefold cord is not quickly broken. So he's talking about this two-part covenant relationship, but it's actually a three-part, three-stranded cord. It's a three-part relationship because it's husband, wife, and Jesus. So you have to have those three pieces for that unbreakable union. 
Doug knows that scripture very well. <laughs> I remember Doug saying, I just kept asking women, do you know what a three-fold cord is? And look, and you got beautiful Lisa. So I love that scripture. So we're at God's design now. So <coughs> in this design, our identities shift. We've already established we're on the same we're on the same playing equally field. Yoked. We're equally yoked. We're now one flesh. Now our identities have to inhabit or change to this new person, this new married person, or this one Going flesh person. Going from the person. old man to the new man. That's right. Breaking off the worldly paradigm into the new paradigm. And just to make this, so Daniel and I, I just, I want, I feel like we should give a little bit of history here for those of us that don't. So uh, Daniel and I were both married once before. Um, I was 23 and he was 26 when we met. He was a single father of a six-year-old girl and her biological mom was not in the picture. And I had come from about eight years of extremely verbally, emotionally, and physically abusive relationships. And my first husband was a very short marriage. It was nine months because he started beating me and pulled a gun on me, and I had to get out of there. Um, but that was not the first abusive relationship that I had been in. And um, the enemy had been grooming me since I was a little girl. I, it, it starts way, way, way back. And my dad and stepmom were on their third marriage, um, which is beautiful and successful. They're 30-plus years now. But they were on their third marriage. Um, my mom was with a boyfriend of, you know, over 10 years. Like, I had, I didn't grow up in the church. I had absolutely no idea what a healthy marriage looked like. I had um, a very short stint at a Baptist church where, um, <laughs> again, it wasn't represented exactly the way it should have been. I looked at all of those women and thought, um, I could not be this meek, timid woman that wears long skirts and cooks and, you know, teaches Bible study. Like, that's not, I was a druggie. I was a wild partier. Like, I, I was on the streets of Vegas for a few years. Like, my background was wild and crazy. So I had no paradigm of how to shift from the world into the kingdom. And I had nobody showing me how other than, well, you just do this, and if you don't do this, then there's something wrong with you. And so I met a lot of rejection from the church as well because I didn't know how to be meek and timid and just stop my flesh. And so enter <laughs> this beautiful man. <laughs> so I also had no idea what it meant to be a husband. Like I, I grew up without, my mother was married four times. Uh, my father and her split up when I was like three, um, and then she had three other husbands, and neither of them wanted anything to do with us children. So no father figure, no husband figure. They were all ended in terrible divorces. So I'm like, I have no idea what it means to be a husband, what it means to be a father. I just know that I want to do something, like I want to give my wife something that I know that my mother didn't have. That's the only thing I have driving me, is that I want whoever I marry to have something that she didn't have. And the first time I tried it, and that was in the world, and it was a utter disaster because we were children. We were children having children. 
and there was no accountability. There was no, neither of us had father figures that were um, really helped us in the situation, but it fell apart, you know, and now I'm trying to raise my own daughter, and I'm like, I don't even know how to do this, <laughs> but as long as I keep her alive, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I'm like, yes, thank you. Um, so, and then, then we come yeah. across each other. And I'm a woman, so I was looking for security and provision. That's most women, that's what you're looking for. You want security and provision. So um, we've, had, we've had a ride. So um, yeah, where do we transition from there? I didn't have security or provision. <laughs> no. I was trying to go to school, like put myself through school off of student loans. And like, yeah, I was just like, out there. I had no idea what I was going to do with my life. I didn't know what I was doing. And we were just, we just partied oh, that's, that's all the that's time. That's all, that, that was who we were. It was who we were. Those were identity. our identities. And um, in fact, and like we could party together and we would still get into these crazy fights. We were very verbally abusive to each other, physically abusive when I got drunk. I was, and I know that there's a little kid in here, so I'm going to try to like, I'm not going to be as um, as open as I was going to be. Um, so yeah, there was a lot of physical fights that went on as well. Um, I was like the nastiest, meanest drunk you've ever seen, and it was years like that, years and years. Um, and yeah, a lot of disarg uh, just so many, so many arguments. Um, and we were trying to do what we thought was right by our limited understanding and it wasn't working. We were going to church. We were getting counsel from, well, kind of from those around us, but we weren't around healthy marriages really either that weren't necessarily um, giving us examples. So we were really struggling. It's only by the grace of God and it's truly my husband so anybody that's listening within the sound of my voice, if you're having a hard time or if you go through a hard time, I want you to hear this one thing. I want you to love your spouse through that hard time. I want you to hold on tight with all that you can because if it wasn't for him loving me through my hot mess, we wouldn't be here today. I tried to divorce him so many times. I was like, I'm nothing. I am worthless. I am garbage. I'm going to drag you down. You don't want to be tethered to me. It this was always during the drunkenness. This was always during those fights. But he refused. He refused, and he loved me through that. He ref Whether his refusal of it was righteous or not, that's <laughs> a whole nother conversation. It was but righteous. But he still because loved me through it. Because we made a covenant, right? We were in a covenant. And I'm learning about who the Father is. I'm learning about, Amazing. you know, what the Word says I'm supposed to be. Um, I'm learning all these things. And as I'm learning, he's giving me wisdom. He's saying, well, at least he put it in my heart not to give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. You're not, I am not going to be somebody who gives up. I already gave up on another marriage. I gave up already. I'm not giving up again because I know that I see what happened to my mom and how many times she gave up. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to put my daughter through that. And I know that that's not, that's not honoring the covenant that I made. So, Lord, how do I do this? 
That's that, and that's what we have to do as men, is we have to turn to the Lord to give us wisdom and guidance. It's not about, you know, what this self-help book says or what this psychologist says or what this, what this marital counselor says. I mean, they can be helpful tools to be used if the Lord directs you in there, but he's going to give you the wisdom. And John Maples asked me a, a couple of weeks ago, he said, how many times has the Lord spoken to you? And I was like, well, he speaks to me all the time. It's like, yeah, but it doesn't, you know, that doesn't, like, like you know, it says in the Samuel, the book of Samuel, or, you know, he spoke, he, to, he spoke to him again, or a second time, right? So there's like a few times where he actually spoke to him. It's like, all right, if I have to, like, quantify it, I guess before I had Holy Spirit, I could probably count three times when, when the Lord spoke to me. One of them was when I was a teenager. He told me how my relationship with him was going to turn out, which all came true 24 years later. And, he, and then he also spoke to me in that moment where I was like, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to do this again. I'm going to push through this somehow. I'm going to seek after him. He told me, I will change her. You just seek after me. That's what scripture says. I'm supposed to lead her into righteousness. So I have to be righteous. So I have to seek the kingdom. I have to seek relationship with him. And she will be brought into that with me. That's what the word says. I'm, my focus is to love her where she's at and focus on my relationship with, with the father. And not try to change And me. not try to change her because that's his job. He will change her. And we were talking about this, and I said, you know, that reminds me, I, I, I got this vision, so I'm going to show you this. Okay, let's go. Oh, 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 oh. No, no. So no. She's, already, she's already doing it, but there's, a, there's two ways of leading, right? One of them is like this. I'm like, come on, let's go. We're going to do this, right? And the other way is like, is like this. Come on. Well, where are you going? Come check this out. And I wait. I, I move forward. I'm, I'm in communion with the Father. I'm growing. I'm learning. She sees what I'm doing, and she takes a step closer. And then I step. I say, you know, now I'm, I'm stepping into a new identity because I'm, I'm, I'm who he's created me to be, and she takes a step closer. This is kingdom leadership. I'm getting closer to the Father, and she's following me into righteousness and into love. So that's, that's what, that's And what that's exactly what happened. Exactly what happened. So it doesn't matter what your thing was. For me, it was alcohol, it was pot, and it was 30 years of rejection and emotional abuse, physical abuse, um, and mental abuse, and just feeling totally worthless. So that, that, was, that was my whole, even though I had been saved, I couldn't, couldn't figure out how to get out of that. But that's exactly what happened, was by him doing that, the Lord reached down and he pulled me out of that pit. And I was fully aware of him not trying to change me. I was fully aware of what was happening. And I, I wanted that. And, um, and 
there's things that we've learned what to do that's very important for the restoration of that marriage. And, well, yes. So So there's a whole list of things like that could I'm be wrong with your marriage or you problems you might be working through. In, in this, you know, looking in, digging into what are some of the most common problems with marriage and um, in a Christian marriage or in, in a, just a marriage in general, you know, are there a whole list, laundry list of things that we've had to work through start coming up. Yeah. You know, communication problems, jealousy, lack of attention, not about the nail, lack of vulnerability, financial issues, lack of empathy, trust, selfish behavior, anger issues, keeping score, lying, unrealistic expectations, all these things are very common and they will dismantle a marriage if you don't stand in a one flesh union. If you, if you look at yourself like the world says a marriage is, which is two people trying to attain something versus one flesh, you're gonna, y all of these things are going to drive wedges in between those two people farther and farther apart. I feel like we're supposed to give two testimonies on um, anger and then um, the submission and the yielding and what that looks like in that transformation. Well, f first off, the word says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. And there is and a that will save your marriage. Yes, it will. And friendships. And friendships. Relationships and period. Just If you can live by that. I, and at first, she, was, she fought it. She did not. She was like, I'm going to bed. I, I am not going to stay up. I I'm not going to stay up, to but talk. I would keep her up until 1, 2 in the morning. Just hey, I wanted we have it. to sort this out. I I'm not going to go to sleep until we get to the end of this. I hated it. And she would fight me all the time on it. But now, it, it's natural for us. We don't we Now don't I'm the talker keeping you up. <laughs> we, don't, we don't hold on to those things, though, because we've learned how important it is to address them. It's not something that I'm afraid to talk to her about, or she's not afraid to talk to me about. Well, it's, it's, and not only that, it's completely turned on its head. Now, I don't ever want anything in between us. So it's like, we have to clear this up as soon as possible. Like this cannot stay, which, so a really good teaching, I, I love how this is, is that when a moment of disconnection comes, because disconnection is what ends up happening with divorce is it starts with disconnection and then it becomes wider and wider and wider so when a moment of disconnection comes you need to correct it immediately so that it doesn't have a chance to fester and grow bigger and and I don't mean that just in marriage either so that again that that can be a blanket for relationships but it's very important sorry it's okay all right so it starts with, with heeding the word. Don't let your son go down on the air anger. And it becomes part of your identity. So I want to... Um, so there's some testimony. Yeah, so... Um, uh, yeah, because I really want to give some pra practicality of what this looks like from my perspective, and you can share it from your perspective. Um, so we all... 20 minutes. I know. We all have... We, we, all, have, we all have things that are, that are big logs that we have to submit and and learn how to be trans transformed in so my husband one of his logs is is anger 
and he's had that since literally since he was a baby. Um, his mom would would tell us stories like he was a rager even as a little baby. So she told me once. She told me as a as a toddler, like one two years old. I would get so upset that when I got hungry that I would just s bash my head onto the floor until I got fed. Like, that's how angry I was. I was just, like, acting out so strongly. And don't worry. We've gone through prayer ministry. We've had multiple <laughs> prayer ministries. Trust me. The deliverance has happened, so it's not like there's some spirit operating. It is. We all have those logs that sometimes it can take decades and years to walk out. So what does that look like in a marriage? So before Holy Spirit, before understanding the yieldingness and the submitting, before understanding that I was a new creation, when he would get angry, all I would do is get angry back. I would shut down because now See, as a woman, I'm seeking safety, right? I want, I'm not I want, being safe. He's not, he's not safe for me. So now I have to protect myself from him. So now he's the evil bad guy, which is like the worst thing ever for my husband, which what does that do? That amplifies his anger. Now it's rage. Now it's rage. Now there's no communication. I just have to get away from him. I would get in the car and I would leave so that he could cool down. Did he cool down? No. It just stirred. So then when I got back home, that's when he would keep me up all night so we could talk through it, but he wasn't safe. But I didn't know how to communicate my needs. I didn't understand his needs. There was a breakdown of communication, and my flesh was just aggravating his flesh. We didn't have Holy Spirit. We weren't praying. It was just, it was a nightmare, right? So that's what we were dealing with. Now, Ever since we got baptized in Holy Spirit, we've yielded, we've submitted to the Lord, we're seeking first the kingdom of God, he's in the center of our marriage, Holy Spirit, we are inviting him into everything, and by inviting him into everything, I mean inviting him into everything, and it will transform your marriage in a way that you didn't even know was possible, but now, when that happens, a few years, like, well, there's like, t so, six years ago, he would have a spell. My behavior's changing, but it takes time for us to see that in each other, right? Because your flesh, those familiar spirits are saying it's going to be the same that it was before. So he doesn't understand that now I'm, it's like God's just sprinkling grace over me. And I'm no longer raging on the inside. I'm not scared from him. I know I can't say anything to calm him down. I know that I have to intercede in my head. I have to ask Holy Spirit to come over and intercede and work on him. And there's nothing I can do. But he doesn't understand that yet because we haven't been walking in it long enough. So he's still coming at me, attacking me, thinking that I'm doing all of these things towards him, which I'm not. But that's okay. That's okay. We're learning. And then Holy Spirit starts to work on him. I'm going and doing dishes. And then he comes out and he goes, I am so sorry. You didn't do anything. That Okay. And then we get to pray. We get to calm down. And then the next time it happens... There's even more grace. There's even more understanding. It doesn't last as long, but that familiar spirit always comes back to me every single time. That familiar spirit will always come a-knocking, 
And that is what you have to submit. That is what you have to put down. You can't even look at it. You can't acknowledge it. Nothing. Otherwise, it's going to take you right back to that old behavior. And then I'm going to react at him. I'm going to feel unsafe instead of understanding this is just a log that's slowly being shaved. And I have to stay in that position of grace with the Lord. And now they're coming once, maybe twice a year, and it's getting, the grace is getting heavier, they're getting shorter, and now there's an understanding coming. And it's, it's a supernatural transformation that only happens through the power and the love of the Holy Spirit and choosing to submit to the Father, submit to your, like not submit to your flesh that wants to roar and react the way it's done for 39 years. And instead of doing that, you submit to the Holy Spirit. And that's a practical walk. That's what it looks like to walk into the new from the old. It takes time. Always know that that familiar spirit will come and knock in. It feels uncomfortable sometimes. And they might continue to think that you're, and they might, anyway, yes, that's what it looks like. Sorry. From my perspective, what that's does it look like on your perspective? Like victory. Every thought captive, that's right. <coughs> um, let's see. I didn't realize she was going to bring this up. That's Holy Spirit. He said to talk about anger <laughs> and to get real. So for me, since... Okay, when we used to get at each other before Christ, or before Holy Spirit, I shouldn't say before Christ, but before Holy Spirit, before transformation, when it would get to the point of explosion, I know I can think of two times where I was like, this is crazy, what are we doing? We need to pray. I didn't know why we needed to pray. I wasn't a praying man. I didn't, like, it wasn't something that was just natural for me. But in those two instances that I can think of before transformation, I knew somehow that would help. And she thought I was crazy. I did. I remember that, she too. She thought I was, I was crazy. Like, what? What are you doing? <laughs> We're, like, at each other's throats yelling and screaming, and you want me to pray with you right now? Like, I don't know. That was... That was the Lord working on me, right? Because I, I was in that transformation. I was seeking him. And even though I was still working through these problems, I knew that there was power in that. So, but it would, it would just, it would boil up so hot. And, and after the transformation, after the Holy Spirit comes, after we, we understand who we are in Christ and who our, what our true identity is, I see in those moments that this is, this does not portray the love of Christ. This is what, what I'm, the feeling I have is not the feeling of love. The feeling I have is not kindness. It is not the things that 1 Corinthians 13 says love is. And I immediately recognize those things. So it's not like I have to be convinced of it anymore. It is what I'm feeling in this instant does not line up with who I am. It does not line up with who the Father wants me to be, and it does not line up with who the man I want to be for my wife is. So that instant realization 
Now I have to learn how to communicate that. I realize what's what I'm feeling is not true identity. I realize, so this is where communication comes in. Now I can talk through it with her. Look, I know you didn't do anything. I'm not angry with you. I am, I am dealing with this. My, I'm, I want the Father to release, relieve me of this. I want my heart to change. I pray for it regularly, and this is, and this is what I'm, what, what I'm feeling, what I'm struggling with. So I can communicate that to her, so she doesn't feel attacked. She doesn't feel like she did something wrong. She doesn't feel like sh- I'm unsafe to her because I'm going to portray something or, or can or think that it's her fault or you know put blame on her, because I'm recognizing what tr- what the truth is, and I'm communicating it to her. And communication in that is huge. And this is, ladies, this is where we need to give grace to our, our men because it takes time for them to learn how to communicate their feelings. We are women. We are women of words and feelings, and we need to give grace to our men because it takes time, and you have to be okay with them not being able to explain it. You have to be okay, and you can't bug them. You can't be like... You, you can't do that. All it does is agitate. You have to extend that grace, and then that will come. They will be able to describe their feelings once they continue to grow with the Father. And I also want to say something that's really important, too, that I wrote down. I felt like the Lord wanted. Um, so, okay. Something that's really important to understand, too, is um, are you connected with each other? Are you feeling safe with each other? And are you willing to be vulnerable with each other? So the vulnerability is Daniel being able to open up to me and explain to me what's going on. But it's important for women to understand that emotional does not equal vulnerable. Just because you're emotional does not mean you're vulnerable. Being able to open up while you're emotional is being vulnerable. And there is a disconnect in that. So the world says you're vulnerable because you're emotional. Because you show emotion. And that's not at all the case. So Vulnerability um, is because you can explain why you're being emotional. Yes. That's being vulnerable. And that opens you're yourself up to be hurt. So, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No. I apologize. Cut me off all you need to. Um, and that's just really, it's, uh, there, are some, there are some serious kingdom paradigm shifts that need to take place in our thinking as the church. Um, and so, and that's one of those for, for the women. We are emotional beings. He created us that way. It's beautiful. But our emotions um, shouldn't rule us, and we shouldn't expect our husbands to be as, a, as emotional as we are. Um, so just give grace to each other while you're learning the communication. It's very, very important. And communication is being able to verbalize your needs, and it's being able to verbalize what is internally going on with you. And to cover each other in those vulnerabilities. So a couple of weeks ago, I was walking through something really hard. Um, I'm, and I was coming home from Raleigh, and I texted Daniel to let him know I was you know, on the road, and I, I was coming home, and... And um, he's like, you know, what, what do you need from me? And I, I said... I called her. We were talking on the phone. And I said... Um, she had some stuff she didn't want to deal with. And I was like, well, how can I help you with this? Like yep. it was there was a... She was struggling with some stuff. 
Um, and it was a Wednesday, he was here at the church, he's on staff, so he's got obligations. But in that moment, I didn't know what I needed. But instead of verbalizing that to him, I said, honey, just do what you need to do. I just want you to do what you need to do, which was my way of placating him in that moment so that I could move past it because I didn't want to start crying because I had a very long drive home and I didn't know how to verbalize my needs. And, and I'm he hearing from Holy Spirit, don't let this go. <laughs> and he keeps asking, what do you need from me? What do you need from me? And Five years ago, six years ago, eight years ago, I would have gotten really upset. I would have yelled at him. I would have pushed away from him and because I didn't know how to verbalize my need, and that creates a lot of frustration in myself, and then that creates a lot of emotionality. But instead, I finally said, honey, I don't know what I need, and he said that I'm coming home to sit with you, and that was what I needed. That was what I needed. I needed to know that my husband had my back, that he understood that sometimes all you need is your best friend right beside you, and then you can face anything. And so I also just want to encourage marriages out there and be able to verbalize your needs and be okay with verbalizing, I don't know what I need. And then as the spouse going, well, I got your back. I'm with you. That was exactly what I needed to hear. And so moving forward, are you verbalizing your needs? And are you adapting and supplying each other's needs? And are your needs righteous, holy needs that are supposed to be fulfilled from your spouse? That's another it's a very good question for you in your anyway. And are you staying connected? What she means by that healthy? is there are some things that we need that are only supplied by the Father. There are some things that we need that we can only get from Holy Spirit, from, from Jesus, from our relationship. But sometimes we want those things from our spouse. Yeah. And that's, that's, putting un, that's putting unrealistic expectations on them, which is one of the things listed here. And also, know each other's love language, um, because there can be a lot of frustration that comes when you are loving your spouse and your love languages, and it's not their love language, so their love tank is staying empty, and you're like, what the hell? What the heck? I do all this stuff for you. Why aren't you feeling loved? What's going on? They're feeling completely unloved, and they... And so it's very important to know your love language so that you are communicating and you are pouring into each other in the way that you need it. I need to pour into him the way that he needs it, and he needs to pour into me the way that I need it. And one of those ways is in my submission and my yielding. So the other way that men were made is they are made to serve. They were created to be servants they were created to be workers. They were created to be leaders. So by default, as you submit and you yield, you are filling up your husband's love tank in all of those areas. But one of those, my, my husband loves to help me. But I'm an Alaskan woman who grew up with women who do not need their husbands because they work in the oil industry two to three weeks at a time, and we have to be very independent, and we need to be able to do everything by ourselves. And if we need our husbands, then we're needy and we're weak. And, oh, forgive us if we're needy or weak. So I grew up with that mentality that if I need him, 
I'm needy, I'm weak, and I should be a strong, independent woman who's able to do everything that my husband's able to do. That was how I grew up. That is my paradigm, all right? So this is... That's the world paradigm. Yes, that is the world paradigm as well. So what this looks like now is I come home, just a very simple explanation, I come home, he comes to the door and he says, do you need help with anything? And I always say, no, I've got a car full of groceries, I've got my bags, I've got all kinds of stuff. And I always say, no. And I start bringing stuff in and he goes, what are you doing? I just asked if you needed help. And I'm like, but I don't need help, I can do this. And then the Lord went, Come on, come on. So I don't know what it is, but it is the most uncomfortable thing to say, yes, honey, I could use your help with the groceries. (laughs) Come on out and help me. In fact, the other day, I stood there while he got the groceries out of the car, and I was like, this is so uncomfortable. (laughs) This is so... but." It's something, I go grocery shopping almost every single day, and he's always asking me to help. And I'm like, no, I don't need your help. And that's, so it's just a very small thing. So now I'm going, yes, yes, honey, you can help me. And, we, and, and it bleeds into all kinds of other stuff. Here's a catch-22. Her love language is, is acts, acts of, of service. service. I know. <laughs> but she's not going to let me help her? Come but see, on. that's how a woman works, right? The acts of service is, honey, will you take the garbage out, which means what? right now and to a man that means sometime before I go to bed which could be six hours from now so we've also learned I'm gonna do it unless you do it right now but then I've had to yield and go crap if I ask him to do that it could take him a couple of hours so now we have to rethink that. Hmm. What 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 can I ask him that yeah that needs to get done right now? So in his marriage, that's the fun part of it. It's okay. The, the give the and the take. Adapting and supplying each other's needs. There's an adap- and we use the term adapting because it's a growth process. Yes. It's not like a it, we want we we're like is it really changing? No, you're not really changing, but you're shifting. Like your marriage is going to go through seasons. Yes. Or you're going to both be going through seasons in your life or, you know, as you grow together and you're going to be changing. And so that adaptation of, of supplying each other's needs. Can I have five more minutes? Five, just f- five. Okay. Because th- there's we a couple. We might have to continue this next week because there so is so a lot there's more There's so much. To get to. So I want to say this too. So um, this is really important. So in the world, um, there's so much about when you ask your husband to help you, he's supposed to do it the way that you do it. And if he doesn't, you go behind him, you get frustrated, you get angry, and you go behind him and you redo it. And I want to challenge you. There are a few things that I never do ever again. I've ruined it. I've totally ruined it. it. She will just redo it, so I quit. Yep. (laughs) Totally ruined that one. And the Lord sat me down one day and he talked to me about it. And he said, I created everybody individually. They're all different colors, sizes, and shapes. They're all talented in different ways. They all sound different. They all look different. Why would you expect Daniel, who's a man, to do something the way that you do it? Because in the world, 
what that says to our husband is he can never do anything right, and he can never do anything as good as a woman. And that's not encouraging. That's not empowering. That's not uplifting. It's the complete opposite. It empowers the woman, which is an agenda, but it doesn't do anything to empower your husband, which empowers your marriage. So I just want to encourage you, just those little things of allowing your husband to do the dishes. And does he wipe the sink out? No. Does he leave crumbs all over the counter? Yes. Does he load the dishwasher totally different than you? Yes. Does the stove still have to be cleaned? Always. Are there streaks on it? Yes. But he put the dishes in the dishwasher. So the next time you can say, honey, would you mind doing the dishes and wiping the counters and wiping the stove? And is there still going to be streaks and stuff? Yes. But find joy in that. I had a woman one time, I was, in, I was in the Baptist church, and I heard a bunch of the women being catty about their husbands, and they were not making the most honoring remarks. They were actually grumbling and complaining about those little things that husbands do, about leaving the crumbs on the counter, leaving the clothes on the floor. And this amazing woman of God, Miss Yvonne, walked by. She was a young widower, or no, widow. She was a young widow. She had lost her husband in her 50s, and she came by, and she said, what I wouldn't give to pick my husband's jeans up off the floor. And I was 20, 19 or 20. It almost makes me want to start crying now. And it was like Holy Spirit came down and said, remember that. That's what makes you so special. You know how your husband leaves his jeans on the floor. You know how he snores. You know how he leaves his ear hair in the sink. or I don't <laughs> have any ear hair. I don't know what she's talking about. I was a stylist. That was like the first thing that came out of my head. Just, but just to the record straight. It's you will one day, babe. Oh, that's not true. I plucked one the other day. You had one. One. It was one. She plucked it. I don't have any ear hair. <laughs> But it's things like, yes, but it's things like that that are beautiful in your marriage. And so does this man leave his clothes on the floor next to his hamper? Next, next to the hamper every night? There's a purpose in that. Yes, he does. There's yes, he does. Yes, he does. Have I learned to accept it with love? I have, I have, but it has taken time. And so, um, yeah, and you said yes. Okay, oh, and so I want to leave you guys with, with two things. So one, so if you're really embracing the kingdom marriage paradigm of the marriage covenant and the one flesh union, then you understand that you get to do life with your best friend. Like, they're our best friend. You're my favorite person in the whole world. And to be able to seek after the kingdom with your best friend, like, you talk about feeling empowered, and we, okay, the next, if we get to do this again, we need to talk about the difference between having Holy Spirit in your yeah. marriage versus not. We're going to continue So this. before we close out, though, I had something, and I'm super nervous about this, the so Holy Spirit, I just asked for you to go before me. Um, I had, um, I have what I believe are two words of knowledge. I had a very, 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 very vivid dream last night, and when I woke up this morning and was processing the Holy Spirit, um, was very thick in, in the room, um, and so I'm going to step out and be vulnerable, and I'm going to share what I believe are two words of knowledge, whether it's somebody in this room or it could be somebody online. Um, 
and I do this with great humility, and um, if, if this lands on anybody and you feel encouraged to let Pastor Tom or one of us know, that would be great. Um, if not, Lord, I just ask for you to go and just, just cover us and cover me in this. Um, so the first, um, the first word of knowledge that I have is that I believe that there is somebody who has been thinking about getting an EKG or needing to go get a physical, and you've been putting it off or hesitating because of fear. Um, and the Lord wants you to go get it done, and he gave me Psalm 29:11, which says the Lord will give you strength, and the Lord will bless his people with peace. And so whoever this is for, I just release the Lord's blessing of strength and peace over your life. He's going to be with you. He's with you now, and he's going to walk through this whole thing. And I just, there was such a beautiful peace on it that it's going to end, it's going to end beautifully. Um, and then the, the second part of the dream, um, there was a people group, and so I believe this is for a person or a persons, um, that you have some discontentment with the Lord, um, but you didn't know how to or think it was appropriate to take this discontentment to the Father and wrestle it out with him. Um, and he wants you to come to him and be real with him. He wants you to know that it's not dishonoring to do that, um, that it actually brings you into a more intimate relationship with him. And then he, he says, like a father and his children, they laugh together, they play together, they wrestle things out, they have disagreements, they work through things, um, they work through life's trials, tribulations, and situations. And so he's asking you to come like a child to your father. Be curious. Ask lots of questions. Seek him. Seek the kingdom. Seek the righteousness. Go to him with those discontentments so that you can wrestle those out with him. Um, and there's just so much, there's so many gifts and love and surprises waiting in that. Um, so Lord, yeah, I just thank you, uh, for those words. Um, and we just thank you for what you're doing. And Lord, we just bless what you did here tonight. We just pray that whatever words, uh, are of you, that they settle in and they change hearts and they change, uh, minds and that anything that wasn't of you, that it just fall to the ground powerless. Um, bless us all. Bless our marriages, Lord. We want to just continue walking out um, our marriages in your design and in your, in your will and in your paradigm. Thank you, Lord.